At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. Welcome to Gold Dome Scramble, our weekly checkup of the Georgia General Assembly. I'm Lisa Rayam, and with me today are again our politics reporters, Emma Hurt and Emil Moffitt. Hey, guys. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. This is, what, three weeks in? And Emil, surprise, surprise, there's already a mid-year budget passed. Uh, That was pretty fast, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the fastest it's been done in years, and there is a really specific reason for it, uh, COVID-19. Uh, There's a worry among a lot of people at the Capitol that an outbreak could happen, meaning a suspension of the session like we saw last year. And it's the only thing that lawmakers are constitutionally required to do, this mid-year budget and next year's budget as well. And they took a big step last week, and now it's the Senate's turn to make its changes. They'll then reconcile the two versions, and it'll be sent to the governor, and then it's on to the FY22 budget. Well, the mid-year budget, really important, but all I heard coming out of the Dome last week was talk about COVID and Emma, Representative David Clark, refusing to get tested and then eventually getting kicked out by his colleagues. How much of a distraction was all of that? It was a distraction, like you said, but it was also, I think, a unifying moment for both parties because both the House uh, minority and majority leaders came out with a really rare joint statement supporting the COVID precautions and the testing regimen that Clark, as you said, has refused to comply with. So David Clark is from Buford. He's a Republican, and he made the argument that he didn't want to get tested until testing is available to all first responders and teachers. You know, as we know, they're testing, requiring testing of all members and staff twice a week to make sure that everybody's protected to try to keep an outbreak under control. And Clark was removed from the chamber by a state trooper because he had repeatedly refused to to take any tests. He lost his office space. He, He made the argument that his ejection from the chamber was comparable to 1868 when the original 33 black lawmakers who were elected were removed just for being black. And that argument did not go over well with some of his colleagues, I should say. <laughs> bad um, move. Yeah, bad yeah. move. And then a few days later, Speaker Ralston spoke to, to media about this and about, about Clark. Uh, we've, we've already wasted too much time on, on that whole issue this week. Uh, I, don't have, I, I don't have any patience for people who live in an alternate reality. Uh, I think the best thing that could happen is his family needs to seek out some some help for him, and they need to intervene. Uh, uh, I, I think we're at that point, and I hate to say that publicly, but you know, as long as he's going to make it a public issue, uh, then then I'm going to call it out. That's what it is. And you know, I just want to note that David Clark has developed a bit of a reputation as kind of a rabble rouser in the House. He's been the most vocal critic of the Speaker and actually tried to run against him this year. Yeah, that was pretty pretty incredible to hear happening down there. Uh, you talked about the bipartisan spirit, but it certainly did not spill over to a voter ID bill that uh, made some progress last week. 
Uh, Emil, as you know, it would require a lot of IDing for people who want to vote by mail. What's the what's the real argument here? What's the real sticking point? Right. This bill was dropped by a freshman state representative. It's not clear if this is going to be the bill that moves, but it was the first. Republicans argue that just the threat of voter fraud is enough to warrant these measures, even though, as we've seen, there was virtually no fraud in last year's election, but they're still moving forward with this legislation. Democrats argue that this makes it harder to vote for those who don't have a photo ID or access to a scanner or copier in order to make a copy of it to send it in. And they also say it's a security risk. And, you know, if you send in your ID with the bright yellow absentee ballot envelope, that's just a target for an identity thief to grab that. And now they have a copy of your driver's license. Uh, You know, I can almost hear Stacey Abrams screaming suppression again. What do you think? Uh, You know, she she's definitely made that point that this makes it harder to vote. And, um, you know, she was asked about that a couple weeks ago, just before uh, the Senate runoff elections. Uh, And she said, you know, this is she accused Republicans of having no idea, saying this is the only way they feel they can win is to keep people from voting, make it harder for them to vote. So this is definitely, as you mentioned, a, a very partisan issue that one of the most partisan issues we're seeing here at the Capitol this year. And, you know, I actually interviewed the governor and and I asked him this question. Democrats are saying that this is the Republicans only answer to winning races going forward, that making it harder to vote. And he responded in saying, look, you have to have a photo ID if you're voting in person. So why do you not need one when you're voting absentee? I don't understand why Democrats wouldn't wouldn't agree with that. So there's the Republican perspective again on that. And we will, of course, continue to watch it. Emma, there's now some bipartisan support for a bill that would allow DACA students, also known as DREAMers, to pay in-state tuition in Georgia. And I don't know, the question is, you know, they go to high school in Georgia, but then, you know, why are they paying out-of-state tuition? And that's that's the question and the argument that this Republican state representative, Casey Carpenter, is making with the bill. He represents Dalton, which is nearly 50 percent Latino. And he's saying, look, these students, like you said, they're already in our public schools. And then we're not granting them in-state tuition at universities and technical colleges. And that's a workforce development issue. He's saying we're missing a boat here by not allowing them to have this, um, you know, opportunity that all other Georgians have. There are more than 20,000 of these dreamers in Georgia, and Carpenter tried to get this passed last year, but it stalled, and he's hopeful that this time around it'll be better. All right. We're going to take a quick break right here, and when we return, we're going to pick up uh, with that mid-year budget and, and talk about some of the takeaways there. You're listening to The Gold Dome Scramble. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? 
Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. We're here with WABE politics reporters Emma Hurd and Emil Moffitt. Emil, let's get back to uh, some of the budget details, the uh, mid-year budget. What were some of the big takeaways uh, for you at the State House? Well, one thing that we've we've heard a lot about in the last several weeks is that the state has been relying largely on federal dollars to fund COVID testing and staffing and vaccine distribution, all these added costs that come with COVID-19. The House did put some more state money in for three new positions in the Department of Public Health, plus $18 million to buy a new system of tracking COVID-19 vaccination appointments. And I did talk to the governor about this when I interviewed him last week, and he, he defended his decision not to make big ads to the public health budget. He referred to the federal relief, as we've talked about, but he also said he sees that there are long-term problems in the department. Actually, you know, I've only been in office a little over two years now. I've been dealing with the pandemic for almost a year, and it was an antiquated system and has been neglected for, for many years. And that's not only, you know, I'm not finding any fault with any of my predecessors, but it's the same, it's the same response at the federal level. You know, there was President Bush, 43. You know, he said there's a need to look at overhauling the department, but that right now in the pandemic, it's not the best time and that he's committed to doing it in the future, though. All right. What about education, um, Emil? We saw some gains there, correct? We did. A big chunk of the money that's been put back into the budget, $567 million to be exact. Um, Republicans are hailing this as money put back to the state's top priority, education. But Democrats, like Representative Terry Anulowitz, say it's just not enough. I'm glad that the budget restores some of the cuts we made to K-12 schools last year. That's good. But we're still spending less than we had in previous years per child, and their needs have never been greater. And this is Democrats' arguments. Yes, thank you for restoring some of those cuts, but spending is still lagging behind where it was a few years ago. And this is really their argument across the board is saying you keep chipping away at the budgets for state agencies, and pretty soon they're not going to be able to do their jobs. Yeah, especially now since we're, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 and education, two critical issues that uh, legislators are facing this year. Uh, Emma, you got a chance to talk to Governor Kemp last week, as you mentioned, and uh, one of the things he did talk about is the pandemic. But before you get to that, my favorite part of that interview is when you asked him about re-election, and he was like, am I ready? You know, he just gave the impression, like, I've been through so much these past few few months, I I am definitely ready to, to take that on. Yeah, you know, the re-election campaign is is kind of hanging over the governor and hanging over both parties right now. Senator Raphael Warnock is up for re-election again in 2022 as well. Um, And I think the governor is very aware that what happens this year at the session is going to impact his his campaign. Um, And yeah, you know, I I spoke about his his defense of his public health proposal, and he also defended his decision to add money back into the rainy day fund and to not take any out. He said, you know, this is this is about the long term health of our state financially. And I'm 
you know, proud of the budget that we've been able to put together and proud that unlike other states, we're not having to make big cuts and furloughs. But like Emil said, for Democrats, this is a really vulnerable time for the state and state government needs to be even better funded than than it is. Well, the pandemic will continue to be a concern, I imagine, through this entire legislative session. Uh, what will you guys be watching this week specifically? Emil, any idea? Well, now it's the Senate's turn. Uh, they will be the next to craft and vote on its version of the mid-year budget. We'll see if there are any big variations from what we saw in the House last week. And we're expecting to see uh, the Senate uh, take care of that later this week, maybe early next week, and have a vote on the Senate floor. And we're also watching movement on those voting bills that we've uh, heard so much about. Emma, how about you? Yeah, you know, I'm watching this proposal to change the state citizen's arrest law. As we've talked about, there's support from the governor and the speaker on changing that law after it was so publicly used to defend the men involved in Ahmad Arbery's murder. And um, so that leads me to believe that it will move, right? So I'm, I'm watching to see how quickly that happens and, and where it comes from. And then there's gambling. As, as you know, we talked about last year, it's uh, not a new idea. Mm-hmm to legalize more forms of gambling in Georgia. A lot of lobbyists are being paid to make that happen in the state, but it keeps stalling year after year, but they're trying again. Representative Ron Stevens has actually this year broken up the gambling expansion ideas into three separate bills. So there's casino gambling, horse racing, and sports betting. And I think sports betting seems like it could be the easiest lift because it's just a regular bill since the Supreme Court uh, legalized it federally a couple of years ago. But the other two would require constitutional amendments, two-thirds support from both chambers, and then people would vote on it on uh, in the next statewide election. So we'll see. With gambling, it's always like, oh, we'll see. <laughs> Could it be the year? I don't Sounds know. Sounds like it's, 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 it's setting itself up to be a very eventful week. Uh, thank you both for stopping by. Thanks for having us, Lisa. Happy to be here. Good to have you both. Gold Dome Scramble is produced by Susanna Capaluto. Don't forget our Mothership podcast, Political Breakfast, is fresh every Friday morning. I'm Lisa Rayam. See you next week. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, Each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.